0: Merry Christmas, everybody. New Jersey is a a truly amazing place. I feel so grateful to cover politics in this state where political theater never takes a day off, not even on Christmas. And this week was no exception. There was news that will affect New Jersey politics for the next 10 years. And at a time of year when things are supposed to be slow, it, it shouldn't surprise me that in New Jersey, it's not. And, I, and I'm, I'm pleased and I'm bragging. If I sound like I'm bragging a little bit, it's because I am. New Jersey Globe broke all of the biggest stories this week. Congressman Albio Osiris is retiring after 16 years in Washington. He's closing out a monumental political career. He, he was born in Cuba. He Came to the United States at 11, became a mayor, assembly speaker, now a chairman of a House Foreign Affairs subcommittee. He will be sorely missed uh, in Washington. His his likely successor is Rob Menendez, a, a young attorney, the son of the chairman of the U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Bob Menendez. Uh, George Norcross, one of the most powerful people in New Jersey politics for more than 30 years, resigned this week as the state's Democratic National Committee. And he, he did so when the New Jersey Globe reported that he had registered to vote in Florida in 2020. And get this, it was just one day before he ran for re-election. you, you got to love Jersey. Uh, the New Jersey Globe released our annual power list this week. It's one of the highlights of the year for the political class. And, and George was pretty high up. And I'm going to be joined by Micah Rasmussen, the Director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. We're going to talk about the powerless, but we're going to talk about really what is just a, a, a an, an incredibly big story: congressional redistricting. Mike, a Merry Christmas! Merry
1: Christmas, David.
0: And and I just I just want to say, you know, to the listeners because in politics, transparency is hugely important, and honesty is is hugely important. Uh, Mike and I are recording this earlier, uh, we're, so that we're both going to be able to take. Christmas Day off, so so I say that in case we say something and and then news happens and, it, and I just I just want everybody to know that when when this was done when this conversation is but but Micah the biggest news today by far the biggest news this week by far is the approval of a congressional uh, redistricting map it was a a tiebreaker on the commission pick the Democratic map this is this is a huge deal what what are your thoughts on this map.
1: Well, I have to jump back for just a second and say, you know, some people would call this Christmas week. We would call it crisis week, right? I mean, in New Jersey, uh, you didn't even. Every
0: week is crisis week in New Jersey.
1: <laughs> you didn't even mention lame duck, which is no. like, it falls to the bottom of the page all of a sudden, it considering does. all the other news that's going on, which is just which is just nuts. Um it, it was a, it was a big map, and it was there were a lot of big takeaways. So probably the biggest takeaway is that um, Tom Malinowski, who has already struggled in his district, gets an even tougher district um, to struggle with and contend with. Uh, you, you you just you never want to say never for him, but uh, he's going to have uh, an even tougher time than he has already had. Um, the other big takeaway, of course, is that Andy Kim, loses Ocean County in his district, which is just a dream scenario for him. Um, it even does it in a way that makes a lot of sense. Chris Smith gets back a lot of towns that he's represented over the years in Ocean County, and uh, Kim Andy Kim gets a, a much more Democratic district to run in on a clear path, um, no matter you know how tough the cycle is that he's facing down.
0: So this this was the Democratic map. So the, the Democrats put in a map that – that essentially sacrificed one of their own in an attempt to save more of their own.
1: Right. Well, you know, to really understand that part of it, you have to go back 10 years and look at the last map and remember that it was drawn in a way at the time. We, You know, th- this map was, was, was a 50-50 map at various points in time. It was an 11-1 map at various points in time. But there was really no way that it was going to ever result in so lopsided a number as um, to preserve every single one of the ten incumbent democrats it just wasn't an option right you know republicans are are underwater in the state but they're not that far underwater and so um, they really had some decisions to make and in a process where there is a negotiation and in a process where um, the tiebreaker is going to pick one of the maps he's going to be looking for wins for the democrats and wins for the republicans and the republicans really only had one item on the top of their Christmas list and that was a better district for Tom Kane to run in. So they were bound to get it and they got it.
0: And you know we talk about and I want everybody to understand what the process is in New Jersey. There's an independent commission. Uh, It's six Democrats, six Republicans. Each party picks their own people and and there's a tiebreaker, a 13th vote. That's the person who says if the Democrats can't and the Republicans can't agree upon something uh, that that person would come in and and make a decision. This was this was earlier this year. This was a campaign in itself. The the Democrats picked John Wallace, a former New Jersey Supreme Court justice, the d- distinguished man, uh, uh, to to be their candidate for tiebreaker, but the Republicans had their own candidate. It was a, a former, also another judge, former Superior Court Judge Marina Corademus It was a 6-6 vote. So this election, and I, you know, I, I love this campaign because this election went to the New Jersey Supreme Court and the seven members of the court voted and they picked the Democratic candidate. Uh, but that person's supposed to be the independent commission member. Micah was... I mean, was John Wallace an independent broker at this?
1: Well, there are some real questions about that today, right? <laughs> um, and I guess that's where you get into the clips that you've, you've, uh, you've selected from his announcement of which way he was voting with the Democrats. Um, you know, And some of his comments really do call into question whether or not this was the result that he had in mind all along or what he was persuaded by or what criteria he used. Um, and um, you know, I think that there are going to be some questions going forward about this process
0: let me let me play the first clip, and then I want to talk to you about that.
2: In summary, both delegations aptly apply our standards to their map. In the end, I decided to vote for the Democratic map simply because in the last redistricting map was draw- it was drawn by the Republicans. Thus, I conclude that fairness dictates that the Democrats had the opportunity to have their map used for this next redistricting cycle.
0: So, I mean I, I listen I mean i'm'm I'm, I'm a political junkie and I you know you and I both watch this very closely probably you know maybe some some people might say we watch it too closely but that was like a big wow to me
1: this it's was an a, extraordinary thing for him to have said and he never should have said it no um, and yeah go ahead
0: I mean you you've been a staffer i I've, I've, I've been a staffer this is the moment where where your own side cringes right
1: oh absolutely because this is a completely Untenable, untenuous standard. Um, it lays to waste the entire month-long exercise that he was just concluding. What's the point of analyzing the maps or the numbers for competitiveness or any of his other stated criteria if none of that was what mattered in the end to him? Um, you know. Besides that, it puts each party on notice that 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 if you know one party is going to win out because they lost the last time they should shoot for the moon next time and if it happens to be their turn they just might get it. It's it's it's, it's a crazy standard.
0: And I'm speaking with Mike Erasmus and the director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey politics at Reiner University. And Micah that I mean that that was that was it. That to me was everything. It was it it was boy, you both have you have, both have good maps. I like both your maps, but but I'm gonna pick the Democrats because the Republican map got chosen Last time, I mean, it's just extraordinary. And by the way, I don't know that I agree with the premise, because the last time, yes, it was a Republican map that got accepted, but, but under the, the tenure of that map, that map went 11 Democrats and one Republican. How Republican was that map to begin with?
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I also think going forward, it's difficult to imagine that we ever get to Um, you know, six to six or or anything approaching some sort of parity with the the new map, because if you had to pick a criteria that wound up being used other than, you know, the the other side won last time, it's it's an incumbency protection map. Everybody's locked in. Everybody gets safer districts with the exception of Malinowski. So it's tough to imagine that um, you're going to get a a, a result that would be anything approaching um, parity this time.
0: And you are you are an academic, so I'm going to try and, and, and sort of put this question out very carefully. But there were a lot of people who thought uh, we always had a professor running this process. A professor, a political science professor, was always uh, going to be the tiebreaker. This year they changed. Both parties decided we don't want an academic anymore. We want a judge. We want somebody who's going to hear the merits of the argument and not come in with a predetermined idea of what they think the map is. So, so we are now 50% through redistricting. We have the congressional redistricting done. And now we have another judge, Philip Karchman, also a respected jurist, a very smart guy, uh, but he's going to come in and do the legislative map. And in the world of New Jersey politics, uh, uh, congressional redistricting i think is is sort of spring training what really people care about is legislative redistricting are we going to see is this a mistake was it a mistake to get rid of the professors and replace them with judges
1: well i think that the idea that we were going to lose the predetermined outcome by not picking an academic. That was clearly a mistake because we got the predetermined outcome. So, um, you know, in in that sense, yes, it was a mistake. I think Judge Karchman has to be the happiest guy in the world today because he got – essentially, a roadmap on what not to do <laughs> in the process that he's going to yeah. be leading, right, and right. what not to say, and, right. you know, what kind of advice from staff to take and not to take. Um, so, you know, hopefully we're going to see a real difference here unfold on the uh, legislative map side.
0: I am speaking with Micah Rasmussen, the the brilliant director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. And, and for the record, if, if I were choosing a tiebreaker, it would have been you, Micah. Uh, but I want to come <laughs> I back. I
1: you, David. And I, thank you.
0: And I want to come back and I want to talk more about Judge Wallace uh, uh, when we return. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I am speaking with Micah Rasmussen, the director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. We are talking about congressional redistricting. Micah, they, the, the court picked one of their own. To be the tiebreaker in this process, his name is John Wallace Jr. This is a good man. I don't. I. I don't think anybody should think any differently. This is. This is a good, decent human being. He was a fine jurist. I personally think, uh, Chris Christie, made a monumental error when he didn't renominate nominate uh, Judge Wallace to the bench. But, but I got to tell you, and this is this is my opinion only. I don't think that this particular task was was the right fit for justice wallace
1: is, th- is that fair i do i do think that's fair and i also think that maybe he shouldn't have accepted it um and i and i realize that you know his former colleague um the chief justice chief justice rabner prevailed on him to take it um you know he thought he was solving a problem you know but i just don't think that it was um you know the the last note that he wants to leave us all on from a public position um you know i think it, you know he ended on a high note and with the high road uh with his legislative battle and his renomination battle and perhaps that ought to be the thing that we remember him for certainly this this map process we may very well see down the road that this map is perfectly fine but this process has left a very bad taste in everybody's mouths, and not just Republicans, I think Democrats as well.
0: So one of the things I heard from Democrats and Republicans who were holed up at, at the the hotel in Cherry Hill all last week doing negotiations on these maps is, is that Justice Wallace didn't have a, a firm grasp on New Jersey geography. He didn't know where towns were. He's from South Jersey. He didn't he doesn't know his North Jersey well and that is where most of the population is. He didn't know where the counties were. Somebody had to tell him which one was Warren and which one was Sussex and which was Hunterdon. Uh, he just didn't he didn't have that grasp of politics, institutional knowledge. Is is that obvious in in his statements?
1: I think it was obvious. You know, I think that the real Mortal problem or the wound is beyond those those things that you you know maybe have staff to help you with even though it's a little bit embarrassing to have to admit it. But I think the the real big offense here was that and we've talked about this a lot, David. Is that um, we wound up with a map that didn't even benefit from the kind of back and forth compromise between the parties this time that would normally take place because he kept them separate. He didn't want them negotiating with each other. And that's sort of a role that a tie keeper has. Somebody who wants to keep the tie. You know, the, the parties may have been able to work this out on their own once they started trading maps. They didn't even get to that point. And I think that was the real missed opportunity.
0: Yeah. And I want to make it clear to everybody that when the map was approved on Wednesday morning, uh, it was really just minutes before the vote that each side got to see the other party's map and they were it wasn't it wasn't ever put up online the public had zero opportunity to see what these submissions were and i mean my god they even did they even did an audio uh, a session of the meeting online. you couldn't even look at it on, 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 on a video of, of the hearing. I, I, I just thought that was crazy. this was sort of a, a prisoner's dilemma where, where you just kept people separated and and, and his job and, and, and you know, I just I feel very strongly about this that that his job was to was to mediate and to try and and come to a resolution before. Before he he just cast his vote, uh, I got to tell you too, and 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 you know, we, I want to talk about this with you. I'm going to play a clip. He
2: mm-hmm.
0: he just didn't seem to have a grasp on why he was doing it because because by his own admissions, both maps were good. Both had minority majority districts. Both both met the 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 the, uh, uh, the levels of of partisan fairness, uh, but. But I want to l- let me play one clip that he said right before he cast your vote. then and and let's talk about it.
2: The only area where one map pulled ahead of the other is in partisan fairness. That is, no district may be formed solely to be to favor or disfavor any political party or the election of any person. Both maps were evaluated by my team using various statewide tests for partisan fairness without getting into the details of the test. I simply state that the results showed that the partisan fairness would favor the Democratic's bat. However, because neither delegation used these tests, I've decided not to give any weight to them in making my decision. Michael, what is he saying there?
1: Well, he's saying that... um... There were lots of analytics that they could have used and they could have considered, but because neither side brought them up, it's almost as like he was he was a judge in court. Because you didn't bring it up, I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to consider it. And that's that's, again, a little bit surprising, a little bit startling, and a little bit disturbing, because it is the job of that tie-breaking member to evaluate the two maps, that's the position he clearly put himself into, was to decide between the maps. And if you're not using the criteria at your disposal to decide which one's the better map, um, I, I'm not quite sure what it is that you're doing.
0: I want to go back and talk to you more, Mike, about the politics of this. So so Malinowski was the chief target. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at these maps and I'm seeing, I'm seeing that he has lost Milburn, he's lost Dover, he's lost Montgomery, he lost Cranford, he lost Union Township. Uh, those those combined probably produced for him a, a twelve thirteen thousand vote margin in the last election, and he only won the whole election by five thousand votes.
1: So uh, now you take that plurality of votes away from him, and in their place you put in. Warren County, it's an enti- in its entirety, and you put in nine Sussex County towns, so that ten thousand dollar defi- ten thousand vote deficit, I should say, becomes closer to a, a twenty or a twenty-five thousand vote deficit. It's just, it's, it's. I mean, that's my understanding. You tell me if you think I'm wrong about that.
0: No, I think I think you're right. I mean, this is a, It's not an. And, and, and I think this is important for everybody to understand. It's not an even swap. You're 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 swapping when you lose Milburn. You're swapping out a, a Democrat for a Republican up in yes. Sparta. Exactly. And yep.
1: so it's, yeah, yeah, it's a two for one, essentially.
0: And this is historically and we cannot get around this. This is a historically bad year for Democrats because the party that occupies the White House in the midterm elections uh, almost always loses a bunch of
1: seats. Right. And so, you know, it would not be unexpected, and I'm not taking out the crystal ball here at all, but it would not be unexpected if Malinowski and if uh, really Democrats nationally just say, well, this is one we're not going to play in. This district is no longer competitive. This is no longer one that we are making a priority. And if they do that, then he may decide I'm not making a run for it either. I'm not predicting that's what's going to happen, but it's certainly something that you could see happening.
0: And I'm speaking with Micah Rasmussen, uh, director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Rider, and uh, uh, let's talk about some of the others. Andy Kim, we talked about. I mean, his he lost Ocean County, which is just you know. You go down the street there; it's Republican after Republican after Republican, and and he's almost the opposite. He's he's now got Hamilton, which is which is a swing town but leans Democratic. Uh, he's got East Windsor and 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 Lawrence, uh, uh, and, and and Lawrence is a, is a hugely distinguished municipality uh, with one of the finest universities in the state there, and 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 that those are blue towns. Uh, is is Andy Kim sort of the is he is he is he sort of the, the the opposite of Malinowski in this process?
1: So I know you have a lot of respect for Dave Wasserman as I do. Um, he has estimated that the new District Three for Andy Kim goes from a Trump point two district to a Biden fourteen point district. So this is this is just a dream scenario for Andy Kim. Um, you know, certainly you don't um, pick. Hamilton every day of the week that that is a town a big town that can swing both ways and historically it has swung both ways but in terms of trading out Ocean County you, you take that trade any day of the week.
0: Andy Kim's got to be the happiest guy alive today and, and you know this geography Micah better than I do uh, when you go down to the southern tip of Kim's district in Bass River mm-hmm. and you go and you want to drive from Bass River to Holmdale <laughs> Which is now in his district. How long is that? Going to, I mean, how, that's.
1: Oh my it, gosh! You're talking about exit 52 to uh, what? This exit. is Great Jersey,
0: right? We're talking about exits, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> to exit to exit. Well, let's see. Uh, uh, it's above 109. It's it's like 116 or something like that. So we're talking about a good a good 60 miles for sure.
0: So that that is. So
1: how is that
0: not gerrymandered?
1: a great question um the only answer i will give you in its defense is that if you look to the district to the south andrews district He's, um, you know, he is uh, from the Barnegat Lighthouse to the Delaware Memorial Bridge. And so <laughs> so, so these are just enormous land areas. And the reason why they're enormous land areas, of course, is because we're all moving to more densely populated areas when we live on the coast. And we're moving away from the lesser populated areas. So you've got to take up more room and more space and, and, and more land to make up those districts in the southern part of the state.
0: What about Mikey Sherrill? She also, she... She flipped a district in 2018 that had been held by Republicans for 34 years. Uh, she won it substantially. She got reelected easily last time. But, but that district's had some changes, too. Is it, is it more Democratic or is it still competitive?
1: Oh, no, it's not really going to be that competitive. Again, according to Wasserman, it goes from a a plus seven district for Biden to a plus 17 district for Biden. And that's sort of the classic redistricting story. You fight the tough fight to get elected. You go, you distinguish yourself, you make a good name for yourself, you earn the respect of the party. And then you get a safer district as a reward as time goes on. And, you know, nobody's saying that's the way it should be, but that's sort of the way that it does go. And that sort of seems to be true to form here.
0: And this is this will will also enable her to to maybe focus on other things.
1: Absolutely. Rumored that she is interested in a gubernatorial run in her future. Of course, those are in odd numbered years, which is very convenient for her. And now, again, like you're asking about Gottheimer, it frees you up a little bit to um, pay some attention to some other things, makes you more of a statesman.
0: Yeah, so th- I've been, I'm speaking with Reiko Rasmussen, the director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. Uh, we've been talking about the state's congressional redistricting. But when we come back, we're going to talk about one of the things I enjoy most about the New Jersey Globe, which is which is doing our powerless ranking the power of, of New Jersey's political insider. So you won't want to miss that. Please don't go away. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio. Radio 77, W.A.B.C. I'm back with Mike Rasmussen, the director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. Uh, we're going to talk about the New Jersey Globe Powerless. That is an annual uh, list that, that we put out that ranks the 100 most powerful political insiders, not elected officials, nobody whose name is on the ballot, nobody who goes before the Senate for confirmation, but, but real insiders. I do this list every year. I've been doing it on and off for 21 years. Uh, and and uh, I've asked Micah to, to grill me a little bit. Uh, uh, they're, they're, not everybody agrees with how I rank it, and I want to defend it. So, Micah, let me turn this over to you. And and no holds barred. All
1: right, great. Well, you have a wonderful cover. We're we're going to be a little bit like the redistricting mission a little bit, and, and we're going to say that we're describing something that we are doing by voice, not by everybody seeing it, right? But you you have this wonderful cover every year, and this year you're in the Senate chamber, and there is a funeral going on, right? And it's Steve Sweeney's funeral, if I understand correctly, right? It is. Yes. Raking out of the coffin as if maybe. There's life after death, or coming back from the dead. Is that fair to say?
0: So, so I think that's up to to <laughs> to the readers. You're, you're you're looking at the state's political elite, and they're gathered in the Senate chamber. Which which the artist who did this just did a magnificent job turning the New Jersey Senate chamber into a funeral home, the Cody Funeral Home. <laughs> uh, uh, and and George Norcross is, is presiding, and it, you, know, you you sort of wonder what that would be like, right? Where there's a where there's a funeral. Uh, and and everybody says, "Hey, let's all let's all get together and let's have a photo." And everybody's smiling and they look like they're having a good time. But here's Steve Sweeney, who lost re-election uh, and is no longer the Senate President, and his arms are are going through the coffin. So so here's what I you know I I ask people to look at it and decide: Is Sweeney still alive? Has he? Burst his arms through these very muscular arms through the coffin. He's holding a periscope, a, a telescope, so he can yep. see what's happening. Or,
1: yeah, yeah. or
0: did rigor mortis set in, and th- they <laughs> just had to to sort of figure out a way to close the cover on that coffin? I, you know, I like it when the readers get to decide which one that is.
1: All right. Well, listen. I've got another little piece to ask you about, and then we're going to move to the list itself. But I notice a big gold four around george norcross's uh, <laughs> neck and I, i'm going to you know you said it's okay to grill you so i'm yeah. gonna grill you i have a theory Are you okay if i try this one sure, out on you? sure i think you had him at the top of the list maybe you know when you commissioned you know because this would have been the fourth year of him at the top in the top position and i think you know he came out with it you got the story this week and we found out that he's Maybe you know putting some distance between himself and New Jersey, and he fell to number two on the list. George Halley displaced him on the list. So is, is that what's going on there, or no? I, am I wrong? I right?
0: am so disappointed in you. I've known you <laughs> since all these years, and you, you just you got it completely wrong. First of all, I'll, t- I'll just say quickly, the cover the cover was done in August, and yep. I had a great yep. concept of, of Hotel Drumthwack and the race for governor in twenty twenty five. We threw it away. Uh, much to the consternation of Kevin Sanders, we threw it away. You so what to, that yeah. four represents, and this will you know, when I say it to you, you will get it instantly, that's the number of senators that George Norcross has now.
1: Ah Now okay. now okay. it, it right. used
0: to be used to be a lot higher. It used to be eight. You know he he had Jeff Van Drew in District One, and he had Jeff Whalen, and he had three and four, five, six, yep. seven. Dawn Adiego switches parties. He had a block of eight senators. Now he's down to four senators, and that's okay. what I was saying. And if, okay. and if right. you look at Kevin McCabe, the Middlesex County Democratic Chairman, who's who's also one of the pallbearers, he's got a little seven on his shirt. Yes. Uh, uh, and he's wearing an Andy Zwicker for Senate T-shirt, right. and that's seven—that's the number of senators Kevin McCabe
1: has. Oh, uh-huh. Oh, that's fair enough. Okay, that's fair because his his position on the list was uh, was what was uh, number. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm gonna in a minute. He was number three. Number so three. There you go. Wouldn't match up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right, we got to talk about the Norcross story here because it's not just him on the list right it's his brother on the list his brother has fallen you know uh he's gone from 17 to 21 to 36 to 63 on your on your on your list of the last four years so you know uh, you say never count him out never i totally agree with you never count him out but he is almost certainly putting some distance between himself and New Jersey here. He's looking for plausible distance here in moving to Florida. And, and, and you know, I know he was trying to do it on the slide, but um, you, you can't run an empire remotely, can you?
0: I th- I actually think you can, yes. Okay. but okay. but
1: <laughs> <laughs> but Fair Fair but the-
0: re- but the- reality, the reality is so so George Norcross has been in power for over thirty years. I mean, I met him for the first time we were we were kids working in the legislature in the late seventies that's when I first met him where he had this oh, this horrible mustache uh but he's sixty five now. And 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 he has been at the top of his game for so many years, you know, and and the guy, the the guy, you know, God bless him. He is extraordinarily successful financially. So it's not just that he's powerful, but he's but he's comfortable Uh, and and he had a tough year. But then again, how many guys can can if they need to raise more than 20 million dollars for state legislative races in order to take these seats back?
1: Well, you and I have talked about this before. The secret weapon for George Norcross and his empire has always been historically was the 32nd philly tv spot it was the it was the republican killer it was the impenetrable weapon for a generation until it wasn't until changes in the landscape and i don't think anything has managed to replace that i don't think they've found the silver bullet that that was for so long and it killed killed off so many republican legislators and and they've had a long time i mean when's the what which which is the last targeted race that they won you got to go back four years to find that don't you you,
0: you do you, you i guess you you, you, you go back to, to 2017 when, when Steve Sweeney was challenged in his own district. Right, right, absolutely. And that was yeah. the most expensive legislative race, not just in New Jersey in history, but, but I'm, I'm told by my, my friend John Donahue at the Election Law Enforcement Commission, most expensive race anywhere in the country ever.
1: So the campaign end of things is part of it, but what about the adult in the room going forward? The non-ideological, non-progressive adult in the room, in the legislative leadership, and within the Democratic Party, and without that, what happens to the party going forward?
0: Well, I, you know, it's it's a great question, and there's there's still there's still a lot of people. I don't I don't count the South out. I don't count uh george norcross out there's 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 still there's people there but i think it's going to take a little time for a new leader to to emerge and, and you know and you have kevin mccabe who is who is relatively young who out of middlesex county has just built this this really powerful operation on his own and he's he's got an ally in, in assembly speaker craig coughlin and and like i said seven senators and a legislative delegation and the, and the guy is just wicked smart
1: and he's doing it in an area that would not necessarily be considered machine-friendly, right? And he's doing it with females in office. And so he's he's really doing some amazing things there, and you're right, some smart things. And he's winning in places that um, you wouldn't necessarily assume that he would always be winning. So it is formidable. Um, and maybe he is. Maybe he's the guy. But we we can talk a little bit about more who is on the list, right? How do you get on the list? This is one of my favorite things seven of them are members of the governor's staff some of the seven um, at least seven are lawyers nine are union leaders six are from the media but no print two tv two radio and two online 15 members of the murphy administration or the inner circle six democratic party chairs and two gop chairs but not the state chair uh what do you think of that does that seem like the right balance to you of course you're the person who wrote the list
0: yeah i think it does and i and i and i think one of the people you know, the, the new jersey has the the most constitutionally powerful governor in in the country and and as a result of the power of that governorship the people that are in the governor's inner circle are always going to be powerful george helming number one on the list uh, he, he, he may be the most powerful chief of staff in the history of the state. The, the, the chief counsel, Paramount Garg, that chief counsel uh, ought to always be high up on the list because there's not a single bill that gets signed or vetoed by the governor that doesn't go through the chief counsel's hand. There's not a single judge or prosecutor or major appointee of the administration that doesn't get signed off by the chief counsel. So I think, I think you're always going to see a huge presence by the governor's staff.
1: Yeah. Now we talk, We've talked, and you you've written about this before. The, the nature, the fleeting nature of power in New Jersey. And there is one guy who fell off the list this time. And we've taught we predicted this for a couple of years. I told you he was falling off, and you got to turn the page over. But Chris Christie does not make the list. He falls off the list entirely this year.
0: He does. He does. You know. You know. If if you, I I, I actually applied a really simple bit of logic to that. You when you write a book. And you go on a national book tour and you go on every major television and radio uh, uh, station in the, in the country and you, you, you really, really press hard on a book and in the first week you can't sell 2,600 copies of that book, then you shouldn't be on a power list.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. here's a question. I have come up with something that I finally see a thread that I see in common because people who aren't on the list complain and progressives complain that there are none. there. By the way, there are neither really progressives in any great numbers on the list, nor conservatives. This is really this is this is a list of pragmatists. Would you agree with that?
0: I do. I do. And New Jersey, as as you know, Mike, a, a a a. it's an insider state it's an organization structural uh, uh, state where 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 that's where the power is 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 concentrated
1: right but here's what i found 19 out of 20 of the top people on the list have significant campaign experience and to me that is the great equalizer and the way in in our politics. And I've had this discussion and this argument before with folks. You can break into our politics as a man, as a woman, as a minority. I've never seen a campaign turn down, hey, help, an extra set of hands. No one's going to hand you any power, but this is, it. here is how you truly, anyone can get it in New Jersey.
0: It's true. It's true. And I'm speaking with Micah Rasmussen. He's the director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. Uh, We're we're just going to take a quick break, and I'm going to come back and talk a little bit more about the New Jersey Globe Power List. This is David Wildstein, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm I'm back with Micah Rasmussen, the director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. Merry Christmas again. You too, David. Thank you. And we are we are talking about the New Jersey Globe Power List and I'm I'm letting Micah uh, run these segments. I'm my job is to defend the list that, that I wrote. So, so Micah, let me bring it back to you.
1: Well, I would argue that this list is pretty it is a pretty transitional year. There's a lot of first timers, a lot of people fell off the list. Would you agree with that? We're sort I of do, in a transition. I do I think period. I
0: think it was eighteen people that fell fell off and, and so it's eighteen new people.
1: That's right. And people like Jack Cittarelli made the list, right, you know, for the okay. first time because he's been an elected official up until now, right, or a candidate for office. But you think going forward that he's a power to be reckoned with.
0: I think he is because I think he you – know, you know, you've know, you heard me say this a bunch of times, and, and, and I, I, I say it sort of jokingly but yet with a tremendous amount of seriousness – that New Jersey has a vibrant two-party state. It's just that the Republicans weren't one of those two parties. Uh, I don't think I've, I. think that's a big change from 2021. I think I think what you have now is is Republicans really are a party. Jack and Jack Cudarelli is their leader right now.
1: I agree with that, and I think we're going to see more Republicans on the list as time goes forward. Um, one question about somebody who fell off the list that I was pretty surprised about. Uh, Rabbi Black of Lakewood. Now, if I'm reading into that, David, is that because the vote in Lakewood was a little bit split this time and not a unified vote?
0: Well, so Rabbi Rabbi Black's place on the power list was because he had the ability to make an endorsement of a candidate and thousands and thousands of voters would follow his endorsement and they would vote his way. Rabbi Black endorsed Phil Murphy. Uh, publicly and enthusiastically, Jack Chidarelli didn't take that endorsement. Sitting down, he didn't go away. He continued to campaign in Lakewood, and Jack Chidarelli won Lakewood, and it wasn't even close. So when you have when you have a leader, and and in the case of Lakewood, you know it's really no difference between being the chief rabbi or being a party boss or being a popular elected official. His power was in his endorsement, and his endorsement. Didn't hold for him this year,
1: right? Right, absolutely. So I want to ask you about a couple more. Amy DeGees falls off the list.
0: Yeah, you know, because I, I and, and I struggled with that one. Uh, she 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 was on, and 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 I'm not so I'm, I'm not so sure maybe that she, she should have ever been on in the first place. I I reconsidered it, and I you know Amy's very nice, and I, and I respect her, and she she is about to get sworn in as a city councilwoman in Jersey City but the power there really is is her father's chief of staff Craig Guy and and Joey Munoz and and people like Michael Solomon that have their hand in 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 Hudson she is, she's she's a good leader but she's not a boss
1: yeah yeah and they all stay on the list they all um, you know, or you know, perennials on the list. In fact, yes. there are several people who have stayed, maintained their position year after year. Leroy Jones has been five, number five on the list for all four of your lists. Kevin O'Toole has always been number seven. Kevin Drennan has always been number 10. Mickey Quinn, 17. Um, you know, so these are like year after year guys who, we've talked about this before, don't necessarily depend on their job and aren't on the list by virtue of their position.
0: Yeah, well, you know, though, and you know this. And I'm speaking with Michael Rasmussen, the director of the Revovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. And, and, and Micah, you've you've been doing this a lot of years. The higher you go up on the list, the harder it is to climb, uh, to climb up because you you sort of get frozen because there's a lot of powerful people at the very top. You have to wait for somebody to leave. You have to wait for somebody to walk away. Uh, I think that makes it. I think that makes it hard. I think it makes it really hard. To uh, to keep keep advancing,
1: go ahead. So David, so David, you talked about uh, how you advance, and you advance when somebody leaves or when something monumental happens. We did have something like that happen this year, right? Like people like Ed Oatman made huge jumps on the list, right?
0: He did, he did, and and that's because that's because Steve Sweeney lost. And Nicholas Scutari is the new Senate president. And that is, uh, I, I said earlier, the governor is the most powerful governor in the country. The New Jersey Senate president may be the most powerful legislative leader in the country. And Nick Scutari is that new person. And there is nobody that he trusts more than Ed
1: Oatman. Right, right. And, of course, we talked about retirements, people walking away leaving. You've got Hedy Rosenstein, who still stays on the list. But her successor comes in now above her because she's in the power spot.
0: Yeah, and this is—you know—this is this is by sheer force of personality. Hetty Rosenstein is probably one of the most consequential uh, progressive labor leaders in in the history of New Jersey. Uh, she's got the ear of the governor anytime she wants, and and Hetty Rosenstein will be uh, in a position of power and influence in New Jersey w- whether she's the head of the CWA or not.
1: She she's the exception that proves the rule because even though she's one of the few progressives on the list, it's because of that pragmatic power that she and has been able to maintain that she stays on the list. Yes, I agree. Yep. So where else do we go from here? I mean, again, we talk about this being a transitional year. We talk about who's new on the list. Um, you know, did you, uh, were there lots more contenders or, 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 uh, but well, there were
0: there were, and it gets it gets real, it gets you know in, increasingly difficult because there's a lot of talented people in New Jersey. But one of the things I talk about, Mike, on the on the uh, in 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 the Power List as I introduce it is is what is political power? And I, I sort of do a different allegory every year to try and explain it. And this year, you know, and, and one of the things I said is that to be powerful in New Jersey, you have to be a good poker player. And if you're not, then there's a decent chance that you'll just be some character in Lord of the Flies.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and you've you've also in the past talked about how fleeting it is. So a lot of people this year... Are on the redistricting commission or on the the reapportionment commission, we might see them stay right by, by virtue of getting there in the first place and getting to those commissions. But we might also see them fall off. Yeah, you know, one of the lessons that I had when I first started doing this
0: list, and unfortunately, we're almost out of time. So this might be might be it. But but I I, I will end it with a with a quick story. Uh, I remember. Uh, uh, probably around 2001, 2002, and I'm working on the power list. And I, I see an obituary of a guy named John Bebout. And and he died, and I think he was about 100 years old, somewhere up in Massachusetts. He had been chief of staff to Governor Charles Edison in in 1942. And, and if there had been a power list in 1942, John Bebout would have been uh, at the very top of that list uh but by the time he died he lived so long god bless him he you know, nobody had even remembered who he was, and I think that's that's sort of a lesson on, you know, we're all only here for, for a little bit of, that, of time, and, and of course, of course I, I say that, and now, now our time is up, but but I'm <laughs> talking to Micah Rasmussen, the, the director of the Rebovich Institute of New Jersey Politics at Ryder University. Uh, Merry Christmas, Micah. Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm sure next week, even though it's supposed to be a slow week, it'll be busy because that's how New Jersey always is. It is the state that never sleeps. Uh, this is David I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you have been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.